Acts chapter number 5 in our Bibles. We're looking at a, a familiar account by a man and a woman, Ananias and Sapphira, and we find those in Acts chapter 5. And so in our series of bad advice, we're talking about the bad advice shared, because they shared it among themselves, the bad advice shared by Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5 in our Bibles, I'll begin in verse 1, you follow along, I'll read down to verse number 10. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So just so you understand what's happening, the little background, this was a common occurrence happening at this time in this church. Uh, the church was young, people were getting saved, uh, the church needed financial help, not like, it was a little different setup. Uh, they didn't have buildings like us and such, they would just usually meet in the temple or places. But the need really was for those in the church who uh, needed help themselves. There was no government help, there was no welfare or anything like that. And so really, the poor, uh, they looked to fellow believers. Uh, probably the proper way to do it, but that's what they did right there. And so the money coming in would support the ministry, but also was helping out other people in the church. And so someone would sell a, uh, they had a spare chariot or whatever it was, you know, they're selling it and selling some land, and they'd bring the money and they would give it. And obviously, people were aware of this happening, and so some people maybe were getting acknowledgement. I don't think that necessarily they're clapping or giving them a plaque or something, but it was known. The thing was, some people, uh, most of them, maybe, maybe all of them except for Ananias and Sapphira, seemed to do it because they had a heart for the Lord and a heart for other people, and they were doing it out of, uh, out of good motives. But Ananias and Sapphira wanted a part of that. They either wanted the recognition or, or let, you know, they wanted to look like they were just as spiritual. And so they sold some land, which wasn't a problem. He says sold a possession, assuming, I guess, assuming it's land. So they sold this possession, and they, instead of giving 100%, they only gave, let's say they gave 90%. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. The money was theirs. They didn't have to give any of it. Uh, it wasn't as far as beyond the tithe and such. I mean, it was theirs. It was a free will offering they're giving. Uh, but they wanted to give a portion, we'll just say, we'll say 90%. And they wanted to give 90% with everyone thinking it was 100%. That was the problem. The problem wasn't how much they gave. It was they were being deceitful about it. And so now this is going to be a problem. So verse number three, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Now watch what he says in verse four. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? In other words, you didn't have to sell it, and even after you sell it, you didn't have to give the money. This is a decision you made, but you're being deceitful about it. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. He died. And great fear came, upon, came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours later when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, tell me. Now, she's oblivious to what's just happened to her husband. But she knows about the deceit. And Peter, ans and Peter answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Now she's a part of this deception. 
Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, which is a bad way to be found, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Now there's a whole lot of things we could go, different directions we could go. We could talk about how the Lord wants a pure church. He's dealing with some situations. We can talk about how the God is long-suffering. You say, well, it looks like he, man, he dropped two people dead. Let me tell you this. When you see God's judgment, I guarantee there's been a time of long-suffering. Because God is a long-suffering God. Uh, you think about the flood in Noah's day. Well, he, there, was, there was 120 years between w- when God could have sent the flood, but when he did send the flood, that's long-suffering. Even when you see Sodom being destroyed, God still sent two angels to warn Lot and them and, and uh, others who could have been warned but yet rejected it. You see, the destruction in Nineveh, which actually turned out well because God was long-suffering and sent uh, Jonah to, uh, to warn them. So we know if there's judgment, there's been some type of, of time when God has worked, so we understand the long-suffering of God. But we're going to look really at the concept of Ananias and Sapphira uh, conspiring together. In other words, they talked among themselves, they talked this out, they somehow shared this advice, well, what do you think, what do you think? And they came up with this plan, which was a very bad plan. So we talk about the bad advice shared by Ananias and Sapphira. Now when we get to this account here in Acts chapter 5, this account, really a negative account, if you're thinking about it, I mean, if, if, if when you come to church and two people drop dead, um, that's kind of a negative account. Uh, you, really, when you're in pastor's fellowship, you don't talk about things like that. I had two people die in my service. They're like, whoa, I don't know if I want to go to your church or not. Um, but nonetheless, so this negative account in Acts 5 occurs during many positive things that are happening. There's a lot of positive things happening in Acts chapter 5 uh, and, and prior and after it, uh, but this negative account occurs. If, if, if you, we're, we're going to look at all the verses, but if you go back to Acts chapter 2, you have this, this day of Pentecost where they're filled with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people getting saved. Now that's exciting. In Acts chapter 3, you have the healing of the lame man. You have uh, Peter preaching this gospel message because of it, which results in Acts chapter 4 with 4,000 people getting saved. There's persecution that begins, and, but yet they're bold in spite of that persecution. And then you see them in Acts chapter 4 begin sharing their possessions, caring for one another. After this event in Acts chapter 5, uh, you see multitudes more being saved. You see more boldness in spite of persecution. And you see people rejoicing and serving God. So a lot of positive things happening, but in the middle of all these positive things, you have this particular account. So during these really amazing things happening in Acts chapter uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and even beyond, two believers share bad advice that brings about their death. On one hand, it's sad. They wasted their lives. Can I tell you, this is not what the Lord wants the Lord brings chastening to his people, but God would rather bless you. He's not, God is not in heaven just waiting for you to mess up and go, whack, got that one, whack, got that one. That's not what God is doing. God is a merciful God, plenteous in mercy, the Bible says. He desires to bless his people. He chastens us just like we chasten our children, not because we hate our children, but because we love our children, and we want what's best for them. And so it's sad because there's two lives ended, and all that could have been done good for God in their lives is not going to happen because they choose to do something that's 
that's wrong, and God has to bring a chastening down, which actually ends their life. So on one hand, it is sad that they wasted such really wonderful opportunities to live in those days, all that God is doing there. On the other hand, it's encouraging that we know that God is at work, even when we don't know it, and we can trust Him. Here's what's interesting. No one in that church knew what Ananias and Sapphira was doing except for God, but God took care of it. And sometimes we think that we know we got to be this Gestapo, find out whatever thing's going on and, and, and try to control. We don't have to do that. God's in control. He knows what's happening. We're not going to turn a blind eye to sin, but we're not going to, you know, peek in people's windows and bug their telephone to try to find out what's happening. God's in control. He knows what's happening, and we can trust him. Even, now, I know this is crazy talk, okay? Even in the midst of a pandemic, we can trust him. We may not like what's happening. We may not agree with what's happening, but God knows what's happening, and we can trust him. Now, let me give you several lessons here from Acts chapter 5 about this idea about bad advice being shared between Ananias and Sapphira, some things that we can learn and apply to our lives. So let's go back to our text, Acts chapter 5. Look with me, starting with verse number 3. We'll kind of bounce around through our text here in these four lessons. But Peter said, Ananias, now watch this, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? So let me give you the first lesson we're going to look at tonight. Number one is this. Satan wants to, de- I'm talking about the believers now. Satan wants to destroy your life even after he has lost your soul. Now let me give you a clarification because there's some, sometimes people watch too much TV and too many movies and come up with some weird ideas. When, I, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came in. He's called the, the earnest of our salvation. He comes in and abides, and he never leaves us. Okay? The Holy Spirit comes in at salvation and never leaves. Which means, if the Holy Spirit's inside of me, now watch, Satan cannot enter into the heart or the life of a believer. People say, well, I think, I think saved people can be, can, can be demon-possessed. Then you do not agree with the Bible. Because the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And there's no way a demon can come in and kick the Holy Spirit out and take over. So as a born-again person, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, so I am not going to be satanic-possessed. But I can be, now watch this, satanic-oppressed. Just because I'm saved doesn't mean Satan's like, whoa, I don't want to touch that guy. In fact, if anything happens, because we're saved, Satan now begins to try to oppress us. Not inner possession, but an outer, an outer oppression. So he begins working, begins uh, conniving, begins scheming to try to bring things into my life. I don't mean enter into me personally, but he tries to bring events into my life. He tries to bring temptation into me. Just like Satan tried to tempt Jesus, do you think he's not going to try to tempt us and try to work against us? So even though Satan has lost your soul, he'll never have it. We are secured. We're safe. We're safe forever. We're secure in the, in the hand, of, hand of God. Uh, uh, we're in Christ. Christ is in the Father. All the cracks are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no way for us to be lost again. But yet Satan still wants to destroy our life. And so we have to understand this. Now when we say Satan wants to destroy your life, what does it mean? Well, let's put it m- more, I guess, plain terms. Satan wants to destroy your marriage, your children, your testimony, and your very life, physical life. 
Because if he can destroy your physical life, then he destroys your opportunities to, to serve, to do something for, for the Lord, maybe to, to tell others. So Satan wants to destroy. When I, when I say destroy, I mean destroy. I mean end. I mean kill. I mean do whatever he can so that it is non-productive or, not, or non-existent. So Satan wants to destroy these things. Satan is actively using events, people, and our own fleshly desires to accomplish these things. So tonight, the question isn't if Satan is trying, but how is Satan trying to do this in your life? You don't have to sit there tonight and say, Pastor White, you think he's trying to do it for me? Yes, absolutely. If you're a born-again believer, absolutely Satan is on the prowl. The Bible calls him like a lion. Could you imagine a lion walking in the midst of, let's say, some, some baby gazelles who are just dancing around? You think what the lion goes like, oh, you know, no, 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 I don't. Satan, let me tell you, that lion's thinking, I could put some cheese on that one and a little bit of mustard on that one and this one would look good. Oh, that was good on, on some bread. Just like that, Satan walks among believers and looks for opportunities, seeking opportunities to destroy our lives. So the question tonight isn't if Satan is trying. The question is, how is Satan trying to do this in your life? That's how you have to look at your life. How is Satan trying to bring this oppression into my life? How is he trying to destroy my life? Because I guarantee you, if you're a child of God, he's on the prowl trying to do this. So if we go back to this idea about advice, here's the question. What advice are you listening to that is allowing Satan to bring this destruction into your life. Now, we're going to build on that statement a little bit later. But if we, if we put that, the idea of Satan trying to destroy my life and listening to bad advice, the question is, what advice is coming into my life that is going to allow Satan to destroy me? Because that's what I don't want, so I better be on guard for some of this bad advice that could come into my life. So Satan wants to destroy our lives even after he has lost our soul. That's the first lesson we understand. Then there's a second. Go back with me to chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I understand they didn't have a church like a building. When I say church, a church building like us, but they had church service. They had assembling together. And this is what it's just talking about. So these are two believers who are showing up at their church service, bringing this offering. Look at verse 7. And it was about the space of three hours later when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, came into this church service. So we see Ananias coming to a church service. We see Sapphira coming to a church service, which brings us to our second lesson. Number two is this. Being in church does not guarantee you're following good advice. Because both of these, Ananias and Sapphira, are coming to church after listening to bad advice. So in our mind, we make a couple mistakes. One is, now that I'm saved, I don't have to worry about Satan. No, now that you're saved, you really better start worrying. And I, I'm, again, I'm going to tell you honestly, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to be truthful to you. He's probably more after you now than before you were saved. Because before you were saved, you were just doing your own thing, and Satan's okay with it. But now you're trying to serve God, and Satan is not okay with that. You, 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 you're his enemy, and he's out to get you. And the second thing is, we think, as long as I go to church... Now, 
in case you don't know this about me, I believe every believer ought to be in church. Unless, okay, if you're in hospital bed, okay, we can let you slide on that. Okay, if you're somehow bedridden, okay, we understand that. If you're somehow, you know, if you've got some disease that you shouldn't be around people, okay, we understand. Okay, there are certain exceptions, but for the vast majority of believers, you ought to be in church. Church is commanded. Church is uh, mandated. Uh, church is the essential thing according to the Bible. But going to church in and of itself is not a cure-all. Because a lot of people in church, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean they're necessarily right with God or living for God. So being in church does not guarantee that you're following good advice. So now let me put it this way. Church attendance is required to live biblically because the Bible mandates it. But does not guarantee one is living biblically. So if you're not in church, you're not living biblically. But just because you're in church doesn't necessarily mean you're living biblically either because there could be some other things going on like we saw in Ananias and Fire. They're going to church, but at the same time, they're, they're lying and cheating. So church attendance is a means to an end. It's not the end of, end of itself. It's not, okay, my whole goal in life is just to show up to church. No, going to church helps us get to where we need to be, which is living for the Lord. So the goal isn't just going to church, but going to church so one can live for God. That's the goal. Sorry, things bother my ear there for a second. Now think about Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, let's think about their, their situation here. Ananias and Sapphira attended one of the greatest churches in history. Maybe in some ways the greatest church in history. They saw 3,000 saved in one service. Then another service they see, that was in Acts 4, they saw 5,000 saved. That's a lot of people. They saw um, some amazing things happen that, that, that really hasn't happened since. So they're, in, they're going to this, probably, if not the greatest, one of the greatest churches. They witness amazing results that have never been duplicated. Now watch this. They had pastors that were trained by Jesus himself. Could you imagine what it is to sit down to your pastor and say, what was it like to walk with Jesus for three years? I mean, physically walk with Jesus. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? I mean, they had pastors who were trained by Jesus one-on-one -on -one for three, three-and-a-half years. This is what Ananias and Sapphira, expe uh, Sapphira experienced. This may be one of the greatest churches, amazing results, pastors trained by Jesus. They were obviously surrounded by good biblical advice. There's no doubt if you went to church in the days of Ananias and Sapphira, you were hearing the Word of God, you were hearing all of this good advice. Yet, they listen to their own advice and ruin their lives. Isn't that an amazing thing? You go to church, you hear all the truth coming your way, and you go like, no, I think I'll do this over here instead. And it ruins your life. You want to say, what, what were you thinking? The problem was, you, I guess you weren't thinking, because that is not a wise way of living for a believer. 
So being in church does not guarantee you are following good advice. It's, I think, important if you want to follow good advice to be in church. But when you're in church, you need to now kind of pay attention and, and let the Lord be working in your life and showing you some things and helping you and, and have some sincerity about these things. That brings us to two more lessons. And that brings us to chapter 5 and verse number 2. And here's the third lesson. And kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And now again, verse 7, And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered to her, Tell me. Now, this is really, there's not, there's not an accusatory tone here. He just basically says, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, oh, Yay, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. I want you to think about this. They did this so easily. So easily they got together and planned this and went through with it. It's really amazing if you think. They, it, there's, there doesn't seem to be any conviction, any trepidation, any hesitation. They just go right through with it. Which brings us to our third lesson. Number three is this. Prior character faults carry into your Christian life. When you got saved, you were born again. You were given new life. The Bible says that which is born of the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, is spirit. You see, before you're saved, and for anyone who's unsaved, you have a body, you have a soul. Your soul is who you kind of, who you, your body is this this. Sometimes the Bible uses the word tabernacle, tent. It's this, this thing that we move around into this world. It's, you know, blood, guts, all of those things. That's the body. The soul is who you are. It's your personality. It's your individuality. It makes you you. Even if you're unsaved, you have a body and soul. But you don't have a living spirit until you're born again. That which is born of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, is spirit. And so now that I have a spirit born in me, I have the opportunity to communicate with the Lord because the Bible says that we, we worship Him, worship Him in truth and in spirit. We worship Him in our spirit. We, it's our spirit that communicates with the Lord. And so because it, it, the Lord, the Bible says God is a spirit, and they that worship must worship Him in spirit. And so our spirit is what communicates to, to God. So now that we have this new life in us, we have the opportunity. That's why you read the Bible. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, now it's like the light came on. Man, what was I reading in the dark? Man, that makes sense now. All of a sudden, we have this walk with the Lord. There, it, it, it's not just our conscience, but a, an inner conviction. It's not just a, sometimes it's, it, it's like a gut feeling, but it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying, you know, you shouldn't be doing that, or, you know, you should be doing this. And, 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 begin, and you begin uh, understanding things, perceiving things, responding to things. Uh, all of a sudden, you love the Bible. All of a sudden, you want to be in church. All of this happens because of our new life. But you are who you are. And if you got saved at 30, and you're lazy until you're 30, let me tell you what happens after you're saved. You're lazy. That's the problem. See, the problem, let me put it this way. Let's say I got saved today. But yesterday I robbed a bank. 
So tomorrow when the police show up, because I just told you and I know you, you're going to tell them on me. And so the police show up tomorrow, and I'm going to say, oh, 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 Mr. Policeman, I just got saved yesterday. All my sins are forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. You can't arrest me. Know what he's going to say? He's going to say, praise God you're saved. I got some bracelets for you. Am I still guilty for robbing a bank? Yes. Because even though I'm born again, it doesn't eliminate past problems that, was, that, that I was involved in. Same thing true when his character. If you, if you, if, if you uh, didn't pay your debts, you were lazy, uh, you, 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 you had no initiative, whatever the character failing was, you were, like in this case, you were deceitful, or you were a backbiter, or whatever character flaw. I mean, we could write a whole list of them here. So whatever character flaw that was in your life continues in your life after salvation. Now, that's important to understand. It, now, I'm not, I'm not saying that, I don't mean to be hopeless. When I mean, there is God's help. You can, you can grow. You can get beyond that. But it doesn't, it doesn't automatically change just because you're saved. Now, that's important to understand. One is, if you're raising kids, you cannot guarantee they'll grow up and follow Jesus. It is a personal decision. You can guide them. You can direct them. You can, uh, as James was talking about here a few weeks ago, you can point them. You can kind of, you know, get them closer to the mark. All that is important. We have, the parents have an important role, but there's no guarantee. We can't save them. It's an, an individual decision. By their own will, they have to trust Christ and then follow Christ. Now, we play an important role, but we can't guarantee it. But you know what you have more control over? Their character. You can make sure they, they understand what it means to work. You can make sure they understand what it is to get up and make their bed and give them chores to do so they understand the responsibility of life. We can do a whole lot for our children by just developing good, moral, biblical, godly character in them. It can be a very great benefit to them. And this other thing you understand is this, that eventually everyone rises or falls to that character level. And so we want to develop godly character. Now I say all that to say this, those character faults do carry on into our Christian life. It seemed extremely easy for Ananias and Sapphira to talk each other into this lie. It seemed like this, even before salvation, this was kind of how their life was. They were scheming, they were deceitful, because it doesn't, nothing, in, nothing in our text would show that there was any fussing between them. They agreed to it. They went along with it. When one was confronted, yes. The other was confronted. They were confronted individually. Neither one said, the wife didn't say, oh, no, no. He was lying. She was like, oh, yeah, yeah. We're, they're in this together. It was seen extremely easy for them to talk each other into this lie. They showed no hesitation in lying to Peter when they were confronted. So it appears they had some previous experience with this. So, I've already kind of given you the whole teaching of it. Let me give you some points now. You can write down. Bad habits and character faults still must be overcome after salvation. One of those character faults that we have to deal with would be listening to the wrong advice. You know what gets a lot of people in trouble? They listen to the wrong people. 
I, I don't know all that's going on in these riots, but I got I to gotta think there's a lot of people listening to, a lot of people they shouldn't be listening to. Hey, we, you do anything tonight? We're not doing anything tonight. Hey, let's go out. And, man, we can throw some things at the police. And when they're not looking, we can steal this or we can yell, we can scream. It's almost like some of them, it seems it's kind of, they're just nothing else to do. So let's go out and, 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 and party in, in these riots. And they're listening to some bad advice. If not that, they're listening to some bad advice in the media, some bad advice from some leaders. And so if our character fault is listening to the wrong advice, and that was what happened after salvation, then we need to change that now that we're saved. So here's a question for us. Who did you listen to before you got saved? Who was that person or that group or that source where, who were you listening to before you got saved? So the question then is, well, how about now? Now that I'm saved. If I was unsaved, listening to certain groups or certain people or certain friends, even certain family members, and I realized they were, they were telling me it was wrong, now that I'm saved, boy, those things were wrong, why would I want to listen to them now? Because I already see that was a wrong advice there. So watch this. The advice that was wrong before salvation is still wrong after salvation. Don't go back to the people who were talking to you before you were saved, giving you bad advice. It's still bad advice. Well, you know, uh, you can do this and they'll never catch you. <laughs> Isn't that great advice? You can do this and they'll never catch you. It's always the advice right before you get caught. Do this, you, you, you'll get away with it. You can cheat and scheme. And, no, that, that's bad advice. Now that I'm saved, why would I want to listen to those people now? Part of the change that happens after salvation is caused by changing the advice that we follow now that we're saved. A big part of the change happens because I'm no longer listening to them. Now I'm listening to a different source, and now I'm making different choices because I'm getting different advice. So, then we understand this prior character faults carry on to our Christian life. So we got to understand that, and we got to make some changes and take some consideration about that. And that brings us to our fourth. We'll go back to our same verses here one more time and get one more lesson. And that is in chapter 5, verse 2, again. And kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So let's just stop for a moment. The Bible doesn't say, I, I think we could draw some conclusion just knowing how people are. I would tell you, I, it seems like they want to be a part of something that everyone's applauding without actually doing the work or making the sacrifice. They want to get the, 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 the um, accolade without having to make the same sacrifice. They want the, the recognition without really doing the work behind it. Let's continue on, verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart, now watch this, to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Now let's drop down to verse number 8. And Peter answered her, and to her, this is be his wife now, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? And talks about her about to die. So it brings us to our fourth lesson. And that is this. Honesty 
is more important than accomplishment. Now I use honesty indefinitely in, in, in because they're being dishonest, but you could apply it to a broader, I think, a broader application. We could simply say being the right person is more important than, than doing the right things, which is what we're going to look at in a second. Honesty is more important than accomplishment. A lot of people like the appearance, but not everyone likes to do the work necessary. Now watch this, and it's more important to do the work necessary even if the appearance doesn't happen. I'm thankful for our church. I mentioned in the announcements we're 15 years old next year. Um, we started in our dining room, went to the building down the road, which is no longer in existence, to this building. A lot has gone on to this building. It, we don't think much about it because most of us have been here all the time. But if you were to play a film, let's say we had a film maybe that showed all the changes over the years. I'm just thinking. So anyways, we had a film that showed all the changes over 15 years. Um, I think we, we would be surprised at all that's happened. We'd be amazed how things have changed. This is different, isn't it not? We don't even think about it because it's been here now for a couple of months. But this is a brand new pulpit. This is a brand new Lord's Supper table. Our parking lot has changed a couple of different times. It gets kind of better every time. It's nicer now than it's ever been. We have a new sign out there, new front of the church, uh, uh, new sidewalk across the front, the portico. All those things have, over the years, we've added and we added. We haven't tried to be uh, um, wasteful. We try to do little by little as we can afford it in ways that improve the, uh, what we can do here. I don't have no problem with nice appearance. But the purpose of a church is not to have a nice building. The purpose of a church is for people to get right with God and live for Jesus. And if we're not doing that part, who cares how the building looks? I would rather be right with God and be in a shack down in the bad side of town than having the nicest building with all, of the, all the glitzes and everything and have people who are carnal and fleshly who care less about the Lord. So appearance is not really the, the, the great thing we're shooting for, nor necessarily accomplishment. We're shooting for the character part, the honesty part, part, the who we're supposed to be. The best advice is the advice that helps you to be the right person, even if that advice does not help you accomplish what you want to do. It's more important to be who you should be than necessarily to do what you want to do. Who you are is vastly more important than what you do. Now, this is important, especially in our type of church, and our ilk, our independent fundamental Baptist churches, because sometimes all we want to do is, is do things, which I'm glad people want to do things, but are you being who you should be? We don't just want to do things, we want to be the right person. So who we are in Christ is vastly more important than the things we do for Christ. We don't just want to do ministry, so hey, look at me, look at my ministry. No, we want to be who we ought to be in Christ and let the Lord use us in his ministry. So this is important. Honesty is more important than accomplishment. Now let's, so, I, so I'm using that in a broader sense. Now let's zero in because this is a situation of dishonesty. Let's zero in on honesty itself. Honesty is foundational to any relationship. Now watch this, including our relationship with the Lord. Now, this may surprise you, because people say, well, you can't lie to Jesus. You're right, but yet we do. We don't get away with it, because God's like, no, I already know the truth. Were they not trying to lie to Jesus here in Acts chapter 5? Well, look at verse 3. Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? They were trying to lie to the Lord. Verse 9. 
You have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord. And so honesty is foundation, foundational in any relationship, including our relationship with the Lord. So we put it this way. One reason we are not honest with others is because we're not honest with the Lord. Let me tell you what is a, a scary thing in our Christian life is to get alone with the Lord, just you and Him, no one else, and do business with Him. You know why I know it's scary? Because we don't do it very often. We kind of run from the prayer closet. At best, we have a list that we kind of get through, so we're kind of controlling the conversation. Do, 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 do. Amen, and then we're moving on in life. To get alone with the Lord and just say, Lord, you talk to me right now. What is it you want? What in my life don't you like? What do you want me to change? It's all for you. I'll do anything you want. And just wait for the Lord to speak to you. Let me tell you, that gets kind of scary. Because you know what might happen? He might speak to you. And he may start pointing out some things. And then we're like, really? I wasn't that serious, Lord. Wow. That? And that? Because he may just start mentioning some things. So we have to be honest with the Lord. But if we're not honest with the Lord, we're really not honest with others because we want people to look at us like this, but we've never gotten with the Lord so we could be really how we want people to think we are. So one reason then we are not honest with others is because we are not honest with the Lord. And then additionally, to add maybe insult to injury here, additionally, God sees our lies to others as lying to God himself. God takes it personally. So if we look at chapter 5 again, look at verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? That's what happened first. Then in verse 4, while it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. So the original lie was to, to God himself. Then they began lying to their fellow believers. But notice the lie began with the Lord. They, first, they tempted the Lord. They lied to the Lord. They, they were trying to deceive the Lord. And then they go to the church and, and, and try to continue on with it. So honesty is foundational in any relationship, including that relationship we have with the Lord. So this account, we come back to Acts 5 and kind of get now give you a couple concluding thoughts here real quick. When I come to Acts chapter 5, I think maybe this account here in Acts 5 illustrates maybe the most discouraging part of the ministry for pastors. We may not like, but we expect, persecution. I mean, we expect the world to be opposed to us. We may not like it. We don't walk around, I don't think, looking for persecution, but we expect it. We expect the world to be opposed. We don't, again, don't like it, but we expect it. But the discouraging part comes by those in our churches who heed bad advice that destroys their lives. I don't mean dis we're discouraged because people or are, you know, saying one thing and doing another. That, that, it's bothersome. But the discouraging part is you know all of this good information was coming to Ananias and Sapphira. They're ignoring all of it, doing something that's going to destroy their life. And you're sitting there saying, well, what could else could I have said? What else could I have preached about? 
What else could I have done for him? I don't know. And it gets very discouraging. And so you, you look at this situation. I'm not giddy. I'm not, oh, yeah, they got what's coming to them. You're looking and saying, why, Ananias, why, Sapphira, would you make such a bad decision? Why would you take advice from each other that was so wrong and ruin your life? It becomes a discouraging thing. So believers who heed bad advice that destroys lives is not a new thing. It may be more at different times, but it's not a new thing. No matter how much others agree with the bad advice, it will not work. It's not a new thing. You're not the first one to come up with it. No matter how much others agree, oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, it, that's just because everyone's agreeing doesn't make it work. If it, they both agreed, they were both convinced, but just because everyone's convinced that this is what you ought to do doesn't mean it's going to work if it goes against the Bible. Okay, no matter how secret you keep the bad advice, it will not work. Okay, we're not going to tell anyone. Well, I'm sure that, I, I don't think Ananias and Sapphira said, let's go tell the church. And I'm like, no, don't tell anyone. Make sure we get our story straight. You got it right? Yeah, no one will know. And the first thing happens, Peter says, what, what are you doing? Ah, uh, ah, uh, yeah, this, this is the right amount. Three hours later, his wife shows up. Peter says, really, is this right? Oh, yeah, that's right. And she dies. No one seemed to know, but God know. God knew. So no matter how secret you keep the bad advice, it's not going to work. And thirdly, no matter how determined you are to follow the bad advice. I mean, they, they, they stay with it to the very end. To the very end, they're holding on to their story. Doesn't matter. It still didn't work. So that brings us to our final statement. The only way to respond to bad advice is to reject it and to follow good advice. It's the only way out of that. Someone of, of the two, one of them should have said, uh-uh, you're in this on your own. I ain't going to do this. And that way, the other one would have spared their lives. But it did not happen, unfortunately. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go join the fun in the hallway. But first, let's pray and we'll be dismissed.